Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. Josh here, and we have a lot to get into today. Leonard Fournette back with the Bucks. what that means for them. A couple huge trades in the NFL, some shakeup. I'm going to get into my top five NFL teams after post-free agency. NBA made trades, Sweet 16 matchups on your way. And also some NHL news as well. So let's get into it starting at the top. Leonard Fournette has agreed to return to the Bucks on a one-year deal uh, worth up to $4 million. I think it's a $3 million guarantees uh, in a great move for the Bucks. Uh, I heard there might have been some competition from Seattle, but that was kind of put to rest after they signed Chris Carson, I don't think there was a huge uh, market out there for running backs, especially for Leonard Fournette. He definitely turned it on in the playoffs. In was great, was sensational, making great cuts, reads, uh, breaking tackles. Uh, Playoff Lenny, Lombardi Lenny was in full effect. He looked great in the playoffs. However, uh, he didn't look great the whole year. there's inconsistencies because Ronald Jones was the main running back. So it was kind of deciding uh, who are we splitting snaps, what happened. Uh, he was also uh, scratched as well, a non-injury, just a healthy scratch uh, for a couple of games. So it put into determination, hey, are we going to cut him? What's going to happen with Leonard Fournette? I think he took this deal, uh, ensuring that, hey, he's still young. He can hit the market again. I think next year. He'll be the number one guy. Uh, he was the better guy in the playoffs. He held the rock. He carried it. He looked more impressive than Ronald Jones, who, of course, at the end of the year was on the COVID list. That affected his performance. But I think Leonard Fournette will be the featured back next year and then see how that pans out. Maybe he gets a bigger payday somewhere else. But that's great for the Bucks because they get Leonard Fournette, and they are also returning all Super Bowl starters. They are the first team in the salary cap era to do so. Before the salary cap, uh, a couple teams have returned all their starters, and I believe one of them uh, was the Raiders, and I forget the other one, but one of them made it to the Super Bowl again, and the other one made it to their championship game. So it is promising for the Buccaneers it is great to have all of their Super Bowl starters back. Nobody thought they could do it, which was insane. Uh, people thought that this team would be shifted, but it is not. Uh, Bucks look like the team to be, beat, but I will get there to more of them in a little bit. Other shocking news is the NFL trade that happened between the Dolphins and a multitude of teams. First, the Dolphins traded their number three overall pick this year that was acquired from the Texans in a previous trade in a previous year to the San Francisco 49ers for their number 12th round pick in this year's draft, a first and third round pick in next year's 2022 draft, and a first round pick in the 2023 draft. So the 49ers got the third round pick. Dolphins got a plethora of picks then right after that. The Dolphins traded their number 12 pick they just acquired from the 49ers along with their own 
uh, 123rd pick and their 22 round one pick next year to the Philadelphia Eagles for the Eagles number six pick this year and their number 156 pick this year. A lot to break down. Why did the Dolphins do this? Why did they initiate this trade? What was the thinking behind this? Why would the Eagles move back in the draft? Why would the 49ers move up in the draft? Well, for starters, I think the the Dolphins think Tua is their guy. Uh, With the number three quarterback, you've got three quarterbacks who they think are going in the top three with Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields. That's who they're pegged. And then you can definitely fill the bottom out of your roster after that with wide receivers, tackles, and such. So they believe that they have a number three pick. They can trade that pick to maybe a team that wants a quarterback if they believe Tua is the guy. And it looks like they believe that Tua is the guy and they're going to build around Tua, which I think is a smart move because he was, guess what, great at Alabama. Why was he great at Alabama? Because he had a ton of weapons to throw to. He had Devontae Smith. He had Jalen Waddell. Uh, he had Najee Harris back there as well. Uh, and I think another wide receiver that I'm missing. But nope. They were great together. So this is the Dolphins giving the keys to Tua. Saying he's the quarterback of a future. And they're also helping him out. Uh, because guess what? They moved down to the 12th pick, then they got back to the 6th pick. So they have the 6th pick in the draft this year. And I think they're going to get a star wide receiver, whether it be Jamar Chase out of LSU, or if they want to get a Heisman winner, Devontae Smith. I think those two guys will be right there at the 6th spot, and the Dolphins are going to fill a need there. Yes, they have Devontae Parker. Uh, they got Will Fuller in free agency. But I think adding a young, great wide receiver like a Jamar Chase or a Devontae Smith would be great for Tua, a younger guy uh, like him that can kind of grow with him, mold into that true number one wide receiver with Tua as their number one quarterback. So that is this is just great for the Dolphins. And it's also great because, hey, uh, we still get future picks even though we have the third pick. Guess what? We still end up with a sixth pick. Uh, we still have a first round next year in our trade from the 49ers. And we have two first rounds in 23. So it was just really a smart move by the Dolphins. Not only uh, uh, making this move now and winning now, but also setting themselves up for the future with those future picks. Now with the Eagles, they're out of a quarterback running as well, I believe, moving down to the 12 spot. Uh, I think they believe in Jalen Hurts being their guy because they still have a 12 pick this year and they also have a higher third round pick this year. So I think they think Jalen Hurts is their guy. Joe Flacco is a backup who they signed, who I think is a good, decent backup if Hurts goes down. You can always put him and plug Flacco in there. And with the 12th pick, you can add a wide receiver like 
Jalen Waddle might be around. Uh, tight end wide receiver hybrid Kyle Pitts might be around if you want to put uh, focus on the defense as well. You can definitely do that with a Micah Parsons, uh, Patrick Sertan uh, sort of fit as well. So really, Philadelphia made a smart move, got a few more assets for next year as well, and figure out if Jalen Hurts is the guy. Now, what does this mean for the 549ers now that they made a pick to move all the way up to number three? You usually don't see these picks, uh, these draft trades in the draft, unless you are targeting a quarterback. And it's surprising because the 49ers said uh, they are behind Jimmy Garoppolo 100%. He's a guy. I don't believe it. Nobody else believes it. You make that kind of move. You definitely are drafting a quarterback. You have everything else in place. You have decent uh, wide receivers. Uh, you have a good running back in Mostert who will be back. You have a good offensive line. Uh, I definitely think they'll be uh, picking Justin Fields, who I think would work really well in Shanahan's system with George Kittle, one of the best tight ends in football. Uh, they gave up getting another wide receiver, another tight end to pair with them. But I think Shanahan loves to have, I mean, he likes the big arm, which was in Matt Ryan. Uh, he kind of had that prototype in Jimmy Garoppolo. But with the way the game is changing, I think they want a mobile quarterback like Justin Fields who can do that RPO work, uh, run, pass, read, run, read, run, pass option uh, with Mostert. And then also throw, so you have high-flying uh, wide receivers and Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, uh, Mostert, like the, one of the fastest players in all of football, George Kittle, who can run deep. Uh, Justin Fields can scramble. Kyle Juszczyk can block and catch as well. Uh, they have a lot of options, op- options, weapons on offense, and I don't think that can be unlocked with Jimmy Garoppolo. I really do think Justin Fields... Uh, might not be on par as to Jimmy Garoppolo's level and experience this year because Jimmy Garoppolo's at least been to a Super Bowl, uh, started in one. Uh, Justin Fields hasn't, but he has a ton of experience as well in college, I think more than Jimmy Garoppolo did. And I think that would be a great pick for them getting Justin Fields. But if you don't want Justin Fields, they'll have other players on the board. They'll have Trey Lance, if Zach Wilson doesn't go second, and maybe Justin Fields goes second, they can get Zach Wilson there. But they're going to have a plethora of quarterbacks to choose from right there. And that's really the only move I see them making. If they uh, traded that away to get the pick, I don't see them, uh, you know, signing free agents that aren't out there, uh, bringing anybody back, or drafting anybody else there, unless... uh, they have another surprise move up their uh, ladder. But I also think uh, they did this as well. Uh, you have other teams out there that need a quarterback that could use a Jimmy Garoppolo. Now that they have the three to replace them, now you are in the mix to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. There are some teams that need Jimmy Garoppolo. New England Patriots are one of them. Bill Belichick loved Jimmy G. He did. Uh, they're really not in position to draft a quarterback right away. But yes, they have Cam Newton. 
But I'm pretty sure they would love to have Jimmy Garoppolo back, who to me is an upgrade over them. The Atlanta Falcons, they could move back the number three, number four pick, swap that at Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't need Matt Ryan unless Kyle Shanahan wants to take on Matt Ryan again. Uh, the football team needs a quarterback with just Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke. They could use someone of Jimmy Garoppolo's caliber for sure. So there are teams, you know, even the Detroit Lions could do it as well if they want to flip Jared Goff. But after what happened, I don't think he that will happen. The Carolina Panthers, they're definitely not in love with Teddy Bridgewater if they're trying to be aggressive with other moves. That could be one. I think Denver Broncos would also be a great candidate as Drew Locke is their only quarterback. And they would love to get somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo. I think John Elway would really like that. Uh, pair him uh, on that offense with Melvin Gordon running the ball uh, with Jerry Judy. And you have young talent right there and a really up-and-coming defense. So definitely a huge, 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 huge move in the NFL. Uh, we won't really see the ramifications in this until the draft next month. Who's picking who? What goes down? That's when we'll see, hey, are these teams really winning it? And then even then, it'll take a year or two to see the production of the players they get. See who won the trades of the Dolphins, 49ers, and Eagles. Now that we are pretty much past free agency, there's a few big names left out there. Mitchell Schwartz. I'm surprised he hasn't been signed. Richard Sherman, uh, Antonio Brown, those are the only ones left, but a lot of bigger name players are off the board. So now that they're off the board, I'm going to give a look at my top five NFL teams post-free agency. Has anything really changed? I'm going to tell you no right off the bat. None of my top five teams have really changed after free agency. Uh Definitely after my top five, I think from the 6 to 15 range, the teams have definitely changed. A lot has been taking place, uh, but I think the core five has remained the same, even though I think maybe uh, the three to five is where the only kind of change was, whereas number one and number two have stayed number one and number two throughout the whole process. So who is number five? I believe it is the Green Bay Packers. Why? On free agency, they really didn't do anything except to lose two players in Jamal Williams and Corey Lindsley, who these aren't small losses. Jamal Williams is a great third-down running back in that system, a great pass-catching running back uh, who was behind Aaron Jones. Uh, but also now since they have uh, DJ Dillon, I don't think he was needed as much anymore. So they let him walk, even though he was kind of that well, kind of third down trusted target for Aaron Rodgers on a sort of screen drop play. And then losing Corey Lindsley, your starting center, is huge. One of the best centers in the game of football is Corey Lindsley. That cannot be understated, especially since they haven't drafted or signed a replacement yet. 
We saw what happened in the NFC Championship game against the Buccaneers when they were down their left tackle. Uh, Bakhtiari was one of the best tackles in the game. Uh, they lost him, and the Bucks' pressure got to them constantly. Uh, JPP and Shaq Barrett were harassing Aaron Rodgers all day long. And you can reason it saying like, hey, guess what? We're not facing the Bucks every week. You know, we won't see them every week. And you're right, you won't. Uh, you know, you'll face the Lions twice a year. Uh, you'll face the Vikings twice a year, the Bears twice a year. So six games are pretty easy. Uh, even though you do have kind of a tough uh, schedule next year, you face eight teams with a winning record. You likely won't face the defense of the Bucks. I know you play the Rams. That'll be a true test for you. Uh, so, hey, you lose the game against the Rams or whatever. But uh, guess what? I think you'll be matching up against the Bucks in the playoffs. And teams that make moves right now, smart moves, uh, the playoff contender teams are the ones that want to win now. Uh, to me, the Green Bay Packers don't make moves where they want to win right now. I think they're fine being complacent. Uh, in their sort of way, in their thinking, just saying, hey, we have Aaron Rodgers. He can kind of bail us out and do it. But nope, that is not the case. That wasn't the case in the NFC Championship game where even Aaron Rodgers himself, uh, there was a couple plays he left out there on the field. And again, the Packers' half-year schedule is against teams with a winning record. And then nine of those games are against it since the Bears had a winning record and they play the Bears Twice, and who knows what holds the future holds with the Chicago Bears and their quarterback situation. But that's why the Green Bay Packers are number five, lost two key players, and their team, Aaron Rodgers, is not getting older, especially after an MVP season. Can we see if we replicate a success? But there is tough competition in the NFC, and they didn't make any moves to elevate them past other teams in the NFC. Number four, the St. Louis Rams. They went out and I believe upgraded their offense. They got Matthew Stafford, to me, who's a more consistent player than Jared Goff. Upgrades the quarterback tremendously. I think people have more faith in him. He's kind of the experienced guy. Yes, Jared Goff has been to a couple Pro Bowls and has led them to a Super Bowl. But we can tell that that has definitely changed in the past couple of years. I don't think they believed that Jared Goff could take them back there. Uh, they wanted to take a shot with Aaron Rodgers, who can definitely throw the ball down the field more. They lost uh, John Reynolds, Josh Reynolds, but they signed Deshaun Jackson, who I think can still make plays from here there, especially vertically, which Stafford loves to do Loves to throw the ball down deep, but then he also has Robert Woods in Cooper Cup working the slot, working the short and underneath routes. Uh, they have a good offensive line. Cam Akers, I think, will only get better. Uh, this offense has a lot of promise. The reason I didn't rank them higher, and I even was debating ranking them below the Packers, is I believe their defense will take a step back. Uh this defense was just so good last year. Number one in points. Uh, I think number one in total yards. 
allowed, I think, third of a rush, uh, I think one or two in the pass. I mean, this defense was all over, and they had depth as well, and they lost some of that in free agency. They lost depth in Michael Brockers. Yes, they saw Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, but Michael Brockers was a big part of that as well. They lost the best slot corner in the game in Troy Hill to the Browns, and they also lost uh, their, I believe, strong safety. I forget if he's a strong safety or a free safety, but he's a signal caller back there for the secondary in the defense, John Johnson to the Browns as well. And that, to me, was a huge loss. It hurts to lose your safety, who was so, so good. And that's exactly what happened to the Rams. They lost a huge player. And I think that's uh, very underrated. Yes, it's no, they didn't lose a Jalen, uh, you know, household name like Jalen Ramsey or Aaron Donald, but they lost a big one in John Johnson. They lost a little bit of depth. So I definitely see this defense taking a step back. Uh, is it going to be, you know, two or three where they're number one and we drop down to 10? No, I expect them to be in the top five. Do I expect them to be the number one defense? No, no, I do not. But I'll get who I think will be the number one defense in just a second. But losing those kind of key guys, a couple starters, doesn't help. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. Why? Well, they already had a great, potent offense, a great connection between Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Uh, That was lethal last year. Uh, Cole Beasley as well in the slot. Uh, with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, that trio worked really, really well. I think they need to draft a running back. Maybe that'll be addressed in the draft. But I think they made a very, very underrated signing in Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders played for the Broncos. I was close to winning a Super Bowl there. He was traded to the 49ers in what I think was a perfect role because he wasn't the feature guy. George Kittle was the featured guy. He's never been the featured guy. With uh, the Broncos, it was Demarius Thomas. He played second. And the offense of the 49ers, he was second, got a little bit more expanded, but he was more seasoned. He was better to George. And then he was just second to George Kittle. And it worked out really well. Emmanuel Sanders with a threat, was a threat. And I think last year, that's what the Saints expected when signing Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, but that didn't happen because they lost... Uh, Michael Thomas, so Emmanuel Sanders could really never get going because he's not a true number one uh, wide receiver. And he also dealt with his own uh, issues, uh, health issues and injury issues last year, uh, which I think also played towards his ineffectiveness on the field. But this year, he's not the number one option. He's not even the number two option. He's the number three option. And I think this will help. Josh Allen, even more so. He put up MVP-like numbers in most games last season. I think this will be even more. I think teams are going to start to double uh, Stephon Diggs. But guess what? That leaves Colt Beasley in the slot one-on-one. That leaves Emmanuel Sanders one-on-one. That opens up a lot of more weapons since you have more weapons. So I think that was a great, great signing. And to me, you only play six teams uh, with winning records next year in a relatively easy division. Uh, to me, the Dolphins, I think, will make some moves and maybe look better, uh, but that's kind of a longer project. Patriots look like they're going to win now, but Cam Newton's their quarterback, and I'll take Josh Allen any day of the week. 
and the Jets are the Jets for right now. Uh, so guess what? Last year they were 13-3. and three. I think they're looking to repeat that excess and get more explosive on, on offense to match the Chiefs. That's what they're going for. That's really the only team that I think they are focused on beating is the Kansas City Chiefs. Which gets me to my number two team in the NFL, which is the Kansas City Chiefs. Why? Because they have the best offense in football. That offense is so good with Patrick Mahomes. uh, Most yards, uh, total yards offense, game-wise as well. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. That's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, That's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That's Tyreek Hill. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Demarcus Robinson. uh, Nicole Hardman. Looks like Sammy Watkins will be gone, which I think is a decent loss, but they have so many weapons on offense. They also lost uh, tackles Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, who were great. But they did sign guard Joe Thune, who is also really, really good, and tackle Kyle Long. Uh, He came out of retirement, so we'll see how effective he is, but they still need a left tackle. We need to see how he, uh, who they get, see if Kyle Long is the guy. See what happens. Can they protect Mahomes? That's the biggest question. In the Super Bowl, they couldn't do that. Uh, they made surprising moves in the offseason. Now we're definitely more horizontal moves and vertical. And guess what? The San Diego Chargers are an ascending team in this division. Justin Herbert is good. They have a new coach. It'll be better. Uh, this team, I think, is ascending. Uh, the Raiders seem to always play the Chiefs really, really tough. But I don't expect them to lose a division at all, even if teams play them tough. This Chiefs team is really, really good. Now the number one team in the NFL, still reigning supreme after free agency, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why? Because they resigned everybody. They resigned all 22 starters, only team in the salary cap era. To do so, there's only one player left to resign is Antonio Brown. And that's definitely a want, not a need. They have Scotty Miller. There's been talks about them signing Larry Fitzgerald as well. And I think that would be just as good a wide receiver depth since you have Gronk, Cameron Brait. You're going to have O.J. Howard coming back as well. You have one of the best offensive lines. In football, you have favorable opponents. Five teams you're playing have a winning record. One of those you play twice, which is the Saints. But guess what? The Saints lost Drew Brees. How good are they going to be? They lost a lot of depth, too, on defense. They lost Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, This is going to be a different Saints team. I could see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sweeping the division going 6-0. They have a very favorable, favorable schedule. And I think they'll have the best defense in football. Last year, they had the number one uh, rushing defense uh, with Vita Vea out for most of the year. Ndamukong Su stepped up, JPP and Shaq Barrett uh, on that front line. And then Levante David, Shaq Barrett, his middle linebackers backing them all up. And I think they'll just have a number one total defense as well because this secondary played really, really well come playoff time. Uh, even after that Chiefs win, where Tyreek Hill torched them, and they were even got torched by Jared Goff and the Rams and teams before then. Uh, they seemed to turn on the, flip, the switch. Uh, I think the Gravediggers is what the secondary for the Bucks calls themselves, 
And when you've got Carlton Davis back there playing really well, Sean Murphy bunting, Antoine Winfield, who's great, uh, Jordan Whitehead, uh, this secondary is really, really tenacious, uh, play a lot of blitz. Uh, I think they're going to factor in more zone after they discovered what basically uh, ruined the Chiefs is, you know, they hardly blitz. They brought cover two the whole time, and they got there with, you know, four or five pass rushers every single time. But they've got depth as well. Todd Bowles is a defensive genius. Uh, Brian Leftwich on offense. I mean, this whole team is back. That is unheard of. You know, after teams win the Super Bowl, like the 12-13 Ravens, there's a purge exodus of, you know, players leaving left and right. Uh, the Seahawks, you know, were probably the best ones of that. They kept the gang together as long as they could until age and injury phased them out. Uh, Panthers, a lot of people left after their run. Same with the Broncos. Uh, seems like the Patriots recycle year in, year out, but it's the losers. Like the Falcons are the ones that never get back. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are truly, they can truly save a phrase, let's run it back since they brought everyone back. So we will see if they can be able to do that. Now, you have it. My NFL top five, Packers, Rams, Bills, Chiefs, and Buccaneers. That's it. Now, what happened in the NBA yesterday? NBA trade deadline. What was going on? There were moves that were made. One of those moves was the Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets, getting Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic. They also added JaVale McGee. And I think that's a great move. For the Nuggets, Aaron Gordon was frustrated in his role. Injuries losing with the Magic. Magic are kind of on a full rebuild. So they get Aaron Aaron Gordon, who is a very versatile defender and no scrub offensively either. Uh, And the Nuggets, I think, won that trade, especially because they didn't give up much future-wise as other uh, teams do. And they're sitting in the fifth spot. Game and a half behind the Lakers, three games behind the Clippers, three and a half games behind the Suns, six and a half games back of the number one seed. With this trade, with LeBron AD out, I see a lot of teams passing the Lakers. I really do. It is just so tight between that uh, three and eight spot, two and eight spot. You can say, I see Denver moving back up to... Two or three, at least. I mean, this team is really good. And come playoff time with Jamal Murray, with Aaron Gordon, with Jokic, uh, this team will turn it on in the playoffs. I believe so. They'll step up in the, another level. That was a huge win, I believe, for them. Then the Clippers traded Lou Williams for Rajon Rondo. And a couple of second round picks. I thought this was a very surprising move uh, because Lou Williams is that more score-esque where Rajon Rondo isn't. He's a playmaker. Uh, Kawhi Leonard wanted a playmaker on this team. But he's having his worst uh, year statistically. 
And I think they're all expecting that kind of, you know, playoff Rondo to come back and be that guy he was in the Lakers. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. There's not going to be a playoff Rondo this year. Uh, last year, I think in a bubble, things were different. He was hitting threes at a rate he'd never hit threes before in the bubble. And this is going to be different. There's going to be crowd noise, fan noise, uh, totally different atmosphere, traveling as well. I don't expect to see that from Rondo. I do believe he'll help out. You know, he's kind of a ball handler. He'll assist. He's the court vision, the general floor manager. That's what he does. And he'll do that well. Uh, but I definitely see this as a horizontal move, surprising, uh, since they did give up scoring in Lou Williams just for a guy that can assist the ball. Yes, I believe they needed it, but to me, more again, yet again, a horizontal move, not a vertical move. Uh, this won't help them beat the Lakers when LeBron and AD are fully healthy. Mark my words. Then I thought the biggest move was the Heat getting Oladipo. Uh, they now have a legitimate big three in Victor Oladipo, uh, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. And they're looking to get out Aldridge too if he's bought out. The Heat are really coming together. They started off the season uh, very poorly. Uh, then they moved all the way to a four spot. Now they're back in the seven spot, 22 and 23. But they're only one game out of a four spot. I believe they'll finish as the fourth best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that is a really legitimate big three. Uh, definitely not the scoring-esque of the big three with the Brooklyn Nets. But they're way better defensively, and we saw how their defensive power prowess uh, even causes other teams with a big, uh, like Milwaukee, uh, with Giannis to shut down uh, with the Sixers as well. This Heat team is really good. I'd watch out for the Heat. Uh, it's getting talked about now, but it's definitely going to go under the surface the rest of the season. While Brooklyn's being talked about, Milwaukee and the 76ers are being talked about. But watch out for the Miami Heat. Uh they want to prove that last year wasn't just a fluke. It wasn't just a bubble type thing. They are back. And this was a really good move. Lakers didn't make any moves. They're talking about Kyle Lowry. Uh, but nothing was given up for him. Kyle Lowry wasn't traded. I think he was expected to be traded. I think people expected the Lakers to make a move. Even if Andre Drummond's bought out and they get him. I don't see that making much of a difference. I think this team is good enough if LeBron and AD are healthy. If one of them is compromised, uh, kiss it goodbye, kiss a championship goodbye, all that. But if those two are fully healthy on the currently constructed Lakers team, uh, this team can be just as good as they were last year. Uh, the cohesiveness, the only thing that hurts is last year, they were the number one overall seed. Uh, they clinched that early. They don't have that. This year, and I don't think they'll have it with the injuries sustained to their two best players. It's going to be a tough road to get back to the finals. It really, really is. Uh, but that's okay. I think the Lakers can do it if those two guys are healthy. In a seven-game series, they can definitely do it. Now to make a couple of picks. 
the Boston Celtics play the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks. And I did pick the Celtics to beat the Bucks last time, and that didn't happen. Uh, but it was close. It was close. Oh, I was a few points on. I thought Boston could do it, and they didn't, even with Giannis out. Giannis is back now after losing my two points. Uh, big trade with Evan Fournier, uh, Mauve Wagner now on the Celtics. I think we're going to have to take some time to find some cohesion. I have a Bucks winning, but usually when you know, a team plays back-to-back like that same team, the other team ends up winning. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics won, but I'm rolling with the Bucks in this one at home. Then the Hawks and the Warriors. Steph Curry is out. Just from that alone, I'm picking the Hawks. I'm picking Trey Young uh, and the Hawks, who are six in the East. Uh, they're playing well offensively. Definitely not great defensively at all. But their last few games, last ten games, uh, they've been playing really well, whereas the Warriors on that same stretch are not. So with Curry out, Jamon Green out, I'm rolling with the Hawks in this one. Uh, I expect a win from them. Now, moving on to the Sweet 16 tomorrow. Will there be any upsets? What do I think will happen tomorrow on the Sweet 16? Well, first off, in the Midwest region tomorrow, uh, you have Oregon State in Loyola, Chicago. Loyola Chicago is a favorite. Oregon State, though, has been playing really hot since winning the Pac-12 championship. And I think Loyola Chicago is going to get it done. I do. Cameron Crutwig is their point center. Is amazing. Uh, He doesn't just rebound and score. He passes first, which is surprising. For a big man like that, uh, they're really, really well coached. I'm rolling with the Ramblers. They're better offensively. They're the best defensive team. Left them a tournament on an eight-game winning streak. They play well. They're great as a group. I think they're going to win and win big tomorrow. I expect another big performance by Loyola Chicago in a matchup of two very hot teams. Then you have Villanova and Baylor, uh, a scary, scary matchup for Baylor, playing Villanova, yes, or out, or without Colin Gillespie, uh, but Jay Wright knows how to win a March. He knows how to get his team ready for March as they've made deep runs time and time again, winning a couple times with him. So Jay Wright knows how to coach a March, where Baylor just doesn't get it done in March. Part of me wants to pick Baylor, but I'm rolling with Villanova. This could go either way, but I'm rolling with Villanova and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I think Villanova is going to be pulling off an upset here. They'll be taking down the Sweet 16 nets, but I'm very torn on that one. I could be very wrong. This could be a game Baylor blows Villanova out of the water, and the matchup Villanova did to Oklahoma 
in like the 90 to 50 route. And it could be that way. I could be totally wrong. But Jay Wright in March is different than every other coach. Oral Roberts in Arkansas. I have Oral Roberts incoming uh, run coming to an end. I don't think Arkansas is that good personally. Uh, yes, Moses Moody's good. Uh, but just watching them play, especially against Texas Tech, and which was a very ugly game. Oral Roberts just escaping their last two wins. I think Arkansas will win, uh, but I don't expect another, I don't expect a pretty win or anything like that. Then you have Syracuse in Houston, and I think that's going to be another upset. I think Syracuse is going to beat Houston tomorrow. Uh, they're about the same to me offensively when I look at it. The 2-3 zone in March is just different because teams don't see it uh, that they play in the ACC and they see regularly. Uh, they beat West Virginia, to me, convincingly, even though it was a three-point win. Syracuse was up most of the game. They crushed San Diego State. They were so close to beating Virginia, they made a run in their tournament. Whereas Houston looked really shaky against Rutgers. I was surprised Rutgers didn't pull it off. But I'm rolling with Syracuse, rolling with Jim Beheim and Buddy Beheim in this game. Midwest will be, I believe, Elite 8, 8 versus 11 in a Loyola-Chicago-Syracuse matchup, whereas the South, I believe it'll be an Arkansas versus Villanova matchup. And then Sunday, you have Creighton and Gonzaga, and I expect Gonzaga to blow out Creighton. Yes, Creighton has had good wins, this year over uh, Villanova, and they barely escaped over UCSB, and they had a dominant performance against Ohio. But Gonzaga is too good with Corey Kispert, with Jalen Suggs, Drew Temme. They're just a really balanced, to me, the best offensive team left in the Sweet 16. Uh, they're the heavy favorites, and I believe they're deservedly the favorites. I believe they'll win that game in the West region. Then in the East, you have UCLA in Alabama. And I think Alabama is going to put a hurt on UCLA. Uh, Alabama was pulling up from three every time against Maryland. They crushed them 96 to 77. They beat Iona uh, fair and square. UCLA has looked really good uh, winning in overtime against Michigan State and then surviving their games in the tournament. But I think Alabama is just too much with Herbert Jones and Jaden Shackford, even though Jaquez and Juzang are really good for UCLA, this Alabama team has too much firepower. I'm rolling with Alabama. Then Oregon and USC, I'm rolling with USC. Uh, both these teams are high-powered after watching Oregon take out Iowa in the fashion they did, after watching USC take care of Kansas in the fashion they did. To me, this game is going to be great. But guess what? These two teams know each other. They're Pac-12 opponents, Pac-12 rivals. Uh, USC beat Oregon the one time they played this year. I think it's great that they didn't play twice because if USC did win twice, uh, the third matchup is always the toughest. But the Mobley brothers are really, really good. Uh, and I think too much for Oregon. That's why I have USC winning. But I expect it to be a close game. Dana Altman, coach for Oregon, is also really good in March. He gets his troops together as well as anybody come this year. Now the final game 
which is actually the second game on tomorrow, but since it is my team, uh, Michigan Wolverines playing Florida State, I just have mixed feelings on this one. With Isaiah Livers out, uh, this is going to be a very tough game, whereas Florida State looked good against Colorado, dominating Michigan, starting off shaky against LSU. I think if they start off that same start against LSU, against Florida State, they will lose this game. They have to be the aggressor. They have to be the bigger team. They have to feed Hunter Dickinson down there. They have to get good play uh, from guards Eli Brooks, Mike Smith, Shondi Brown, and then forward Franz Wagner has kind of been the do-it-all. He has to hit his perimeter shots. He has to get him a lane and make it tougher of a defense, stretch the floor so that Mike Smith can do what he needs to do. Eli Brooks and then Hunter Dickinson can have those one-on-one matchups on the inside. That's what needs to happen. If that happens, I have Michigan winning. And my brackets I filled out, I've kind of gone half and half. Uh, I'm picking upsets on Saturday. Uh, you know, three of them, or two of them I have as upsets. Do I think there'll be an upset on Saturday? I do, but I don't want it to be Michigan. I don't. I'm going to pick Florida State, even though I don't want to. I don't want to do it. I think Florida State's going to win, but I'm rooting for Michigan hard. I hope Michigan wins. And to me, this is more of a flip of a coin. And I flipped a coin and it told me Florida State was going to win. But I think Michigan can get it done. Now pivoting to the NHL. In our final sports conversation. On my picks on Wednesday, I was right on two of them. I was right on a wild winning, the Penguins winning. But I was wrong on the Kings. They couldn't get it done. But my Penguins won. They won back to back. They won last night as well. Sending the Sabres on a 16-game losing streak. And to me, this one was great for the Penguins because to me, I thought you were going to get this feisty Sabres team, even though they're really, really down. Uh, Penguins have key players out. They have Evgeny Malkin, Jason Zucker, Kasperi Kapanen was out as well. Same with Brandon Tanev. So I thought, oh, this could be one, but you could really do it. But guess what? The Penguins had the best player on the ice by far. Sidney Crosby, uh, three assists, got to 1,300 points, eighth fastest player to ever do so in a really encouraging win for the Penguins, staying in the upper echelon of the Eastern Division, right up there with the Islanders and Washington. Really happy about that. Then the Rangers blew out the Flyers again. Uh, not the 9 nothing, but close. It was 8-3. to Mika Zibanejad looking good. Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, Adam Fox, the team clicking, Carter Hart just having a terrible year, especially terrible against the Rangers, but a terrible year in general, which I'm fine with. Uh, since I do not like the Philadelphia Flyers, I'm a Penguins fan. I will live with that. Buffalo Sabres traded center Eric Stahl to the Canadians uh, for uh, some future uh, picks. And I think it's a great move because the Sabres should just purge everybody from that team. Since they are so bad, uh, Montreal has fallen behind in the North race, even though they do hold tight to a playoff spot uh, with Vancouver and Calgary on their tails. I think this is a good trade for Montreal, getting it more center depth, experienced center depth is what they need. Uh, with Philip Denol there, uh, Suzuki, great trade for the Canadians. 
Now tonight I'm going to pick a couple of games. The first one, Devils-Capitals. Capitals just pulled it out against the Devils yesterday, surprisingly. So upset. I wanted the Penguins to be right there, but they're not. I don't expect the Devils to win tonight. I have the Capitals winning uh, behind the likes of Nicholas Backstrom and Alexander Ovechkin. And then the next game is the Jets and Flames, and I think it's going to be a really good matchup. Two teams that really don't like each other. Uh, Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor against, you know, Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, Matthew Kachuk. I can't pick the Flames. I can never pick the Flames against the Jets. I like the Jets. Uh, you know, if it was playoff time, maybe I'd feel a little differently about who I pick. But since it's regular season, I've got to pick the Winnipeg Jets. I'm rolling with them. I'm rolling with Mark Scheifele, who's been really, really good this year, coming off a huge injury last year in the playoffs, and he's playing really well this season. So Winnipeg is a team I'm rolling with. That's what I've got tonight. The Falcon and my Winter Soldier looking forward to another episode of that and seeing how this progresses with the shield, Captain America shield, in somebody else's hands. Uh, what happens there? When will Zemo uh, show up? The villain? What else will go down in the Easter eggs? What will go down to set up future episodes slash the future of the MCU. Very exciting. But that is it. Sweet 16 tomorrow. Elite 8 coming up right after that. More trades could be announced soon. NFL, both uh, NHL. Stay tuned. Everybody have a great weekend. Bye.